So last week we looked at uh, fears, lies, and faith's promise, and uh, today I just want to talk about victory. I want to talk about victory. It's another one-off message here, but uh, th- this is where I've sensed the Lord leading, so we're going to go to, um, we're going to kind of camp down into Judges chapter 7. We're going to look at the life of, of, of Gideon, the battle that Gideon fought against the Midianites, but I uh, just want to read a, pa- a passage in 1 John chapter 5. Verses 4 and 5, it says, For whatever is born of God. Are you born of God? Have you been born again? Have you been born from above? Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That means if you've been born again, you're an overcomer. Amen? Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? God intended for us to be a victorious people. Amen? And too often we live defeated. We, we uh, just have a mindset that uh, we accept defeat in areas of our life. Um, we, we have real enemies. How I many of you recognize that? The Bible talks about our enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. Uh, we have other, other enemies. Death is an enemy. The Bible talks about it as an enemy. Uh, unforgiveness, bitter bitterness, temptation, all the, these things are, are things that come to destroy our lives. They are enemies, and, uh, I, but, but I believe this, that God has made us victorious in every single area of our life. We are, we are in a spiritual battle, amen? We have to realize that. We have to recognize that. There, there is more to this thing than what we can see with our natural eye. We have spiritual enemies. We do, and we are surrounded by those enemies. I, I was reading an article this week And this was the opening line. I just want to share the opening line of this article. It says, spiritual warfare is a reality and a serious part in working overseas. And when I read that, I thought, you know what, that's true. But it's also a great reality right here in the United States of America. I mean, look at the attack on our our children with, with sexuality. Look at the attack on school systems. Look at all the things that are going on right here in our country, the, the, the perverse things that, that are being pushed on a generation. All the, 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 we, we are under an attack right here in the United States of America. We have spiritual, spiritual uh, warfare, and uh, th- this thing is just as real here and just as necessary here in the United States as it is overseas. Yeah, true, we need it. When you, if you go on the mission field, hey, you're going to encounter some enemies and opposition, right? But we've got real enemies here. There's a real battle being waged right here, and we need to be cognizant of that. We need to be aware of that. We are surrounded, right? And we're wrestling. It's not against flesh and blood. People aren't our enemies, right? You, people, you, the people you see on the news, those are not your enemies. The people that you encounter in, in life every day that give you grief, those are not the real enemies. There is a spiritual enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, 12 says, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this uh, dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Spiritual hosts. That, that means that we're facing a spiritual army of wickedness, a dark army that has allied itself against the kingdom of God, against his purpose and against his people, right? These are magistrates, authorities, rulers, uh, they, it, 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 and they form a wicked army. These are spiritual powers, spiritual powers that are real, right? How many of you know that demonic opposition is real? Demonic activity is still something that we're challenged with and faced with. It didn't stop in the Gospels. It's still, the enemy is still active. In fact, I believe he's come down with great anger right now, great rage, knowing that he has a short time, and he is opposing the people of God. He's opposing the purposes of God. We have a real enemy, 
and he's out to, to, to destroy us. And we are surrounded. We are surrounded. And in one sense, we're outnumbered. You think about this, the hosts of the enemies, they, they have surrounded you. You're surrounded by an army, a wicked army, and you're outnumbered. But here's the good news, they're outnumbered. I mean, they're outnumbered just by Jesus. But also, you think about this, only a third of the enemies rebelled against heaven, and two-thirds remained true to Jesus. You think about that. So the, the ones that are opposed to us are outnumbered. Amen? We, we, got, we got to remember that. We got to have, allow the Lord to open our eyes to see that the, that the, the hills are filled with the, the hosts of heaven, the armies of God, and the, he's fighting for us. We need to remember that. Amen? Have you ever been outnumbered? That's where Gideon finds himself. We're going to go through this seventh chapter of Judges. Gideon finds himself outnumbered here in this seventh uh, chapter. In verse 12, it talks about, it says, the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. There's this great host arrayed against Israel, and they are far outnumbered. There's only 32,000 at this point with, with uh, Gideon. And he is vastly outnumbered by the enemy. It's, it, it says, and this is commonly, language commonly used in the scripture, that the, 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 the army, it talks about the camels of this army here. They, they were like uh, the sand of the seashore. You can't even count the grains of sand. That, I mean, they are vastly outnumbered and then God begins to say to Gideon, I want to whittle you down. You've got too many with you. That 32,000 that you're traveling with, there, there are too many. The Lord says to Gideon in verse uh, 2 of chapter 7, uh, he says, the people who are with you are too many. They're too many for me to give the Midians into your hand, the Midianites into your hand. At least Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God wants us to be outnumbered so he'll get glory. God wants us to face insurmountable odds so that we can't claim the glory and say that we did it. We have to say that it was the hand of God and not my own hand that saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 20,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained with Gideon. So this winnowing, this, this winnowing, winnowing down process, God takes Israel through, from the start, 22,000 leave Gideon. And you think about that. You're in a battle, or let's just put it in financial terms. You owe $100,000, you've got $50,000 in the bank, and God tells you, I want you to give 30000 That doesn't make sense, does it? But again, God, this is the way God works because he wants to get the glory. The glory is his. Amen? And if that wasn't enough, that God took him from 22,000 down to, to, to or from 32,000 down to 10,000, God continues to whittle away. Judges chapter 7, verse 4 says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. 10,000 is way too much. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that, uh, of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, 
The same shall go with you. And to whomever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water uh, with, with his tongue, as the dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lap putting uh, their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all of the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, by 300 men who have lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the people go, and every, every man to his own place. So God widows down this 10,000 to 300. How many of you like those odds? You're going to face this army of might that can't even be numbered. They've got more camels than, than you can even imagine. And you're going to go face them, and God says you're going to do it with 300. Those odds are not favorable. But whenever we take on a God-sized challenge, self-sufficiency is no longer optional. That's the, the point of this, this story right here. Self-sufficiency is not optional. How many of you, got, God has ever called you to something great? Let's see the hands. Okay, now I want everybody in the room to put your hand up. God has called you to something great. God has called you to something bigger than yourself. Amen, every one of us. If, if you're following Jesus, he's gonna, he's gonna put things in front of you that are impossible. I've, I've, I've come to understand that. He often does it. He puts things in us that are bigger, before us that are bigger than us. It's the way that he works. It's the way our God moves. God loves to put us in, in impossible situations. God loves to put us in places where we are vulnerable. Amen, how many of you have ever felt vulnerable when God's called you to do something? A vulnerable place. Moses looking at the walls of water on each side as he walks across on dry land. How many of you know that's a vulnerable place? The Egyptian army behind you, the walls of water up, are those things gonna, is God gonna hold those things up until we get to the other side or are they gonna collapse in on us? You ever been in a situation, God, are you gonna hold this thing together or is it gonna collapse in on me? Amen? Think about David standing before Goliath. Think about Daniel taking a nap in the, Daniel, in, in, in the lion's den. Think about John the Baptist in Herod's prison. Think about Simon Peter at the cross. You talk about an impossible situation. He had invested everything in, into following this man, Jesus. He was expecting Jesus to set up a kingdom, and now this man that he is following is dying on a cross. God puts his people in vulnerable places so that he can show himself strong and so that he can get himself glory. Amen? As a church planner, I lived as a church planner. We, we, we spent nine years of our life. We planted a church and led that church. Vulnerability. Lord, how are we gonna pay the church bills? Lord, how are we gonna pay our electric bill? Lord, diapers for the babies, formula. How are, how are we gonna do this? 2015, a year where our family spent the entire year traveling around the United States, we would start out with a couple hundred bucks and a, gas, a, a, a tank full of gas, and that was before a tank full of gas was a couple hundred dollars. But nevertheless, just a couple hundred bucks, $400 maybe, a, a tank full of gas, and an appointment to be in a state about two or 3,000 miles away. And God says go. We did that for a year. 20, 
seven states, I think it was, that we traveled through. And almost every time we'd start out not having enough. And every time, God would come through. I can think of three instances, I was thinking about this this morning, three instances where people put $500 into our hand. God provided every step of the way. We, that year, that year when we traveled, do you know how many nights in a hotel we paid for? Three nights. They came out of our checking account. Someone provided a hotel for us or a basement or a church parsonage or someplace for us to stay. God provided supernaturally. Amen? That's what life is like following the Lord. Amen? And in this, in this story, there's an interesting little passage here, and, and Gideon gets encouragement from his enemies. Oh, man, man, if you could hear what your enemies were saying, it would bring courage to you. It'd motivate you. You'd realize you really aren't defeated, and they're afraid of you. Gideon got some encouragement here in Judges chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. It says, that, that night the Lord said, get up and go down to the, in, into the Midianite camp, for I'm going to give you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. And then you will be eager to attack so Gideon took, a, took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. And in verse 13 it says, And Gideon came, had, had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion, and he said to him, I have, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. This is what the companion says in verse 14. This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered, the, uh, delivered Midian and the whole camp. He's prophesying their own defeat. Right? Man, listen, listen to your enemies. I heard a wise old preacher say that he took all of his cues of when God was about to advance him from his enemies. When your enemies are talking, it's a sign that God's about to promote you. It's about that God is about to advance you. God is about to bring increase. God is about to bring victory. When your enemies are arrayed against you, and go and listen to what they're saying, and take courage. So this encouraged Gideon, and he begins to go forth and 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 uh, work the strategy. Here's here's the way that God showed them. Gideon tells them, he said, I want, it's time for us to arise. It's time for us to arise. Because the Lord has delivered the Midianites into our hands. And he divides the 300 into three companies of 100. And they go and they surround the Midianites in this, this valley. And Gideon tells them, when I blow the trumpet, here's what I want you to do. I want you to blow your trumpets. I want you to, to, to smash pots. And I want you to, to begin to shout the sword of Gideon. The sword of Gideon. And they did that. And here's, here's, here's what happens. And, and I love this. In, in verse 21, it says, Every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried and fled. Gives a little more clarity in the New Living Translation. It says, each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. 
They didn't even have to fight. All they had to do is blow their horn and smash pots, and God gave them victory. And they did something else. Did you read that there at the beginning of that verse? Every man stood in his place all around the camp. Every man stood in his place. Church, it's time to stand where God's called us to stand. It's time for every man and woman of God to stand in his place. It's time for the ushers to ush, for the worshipers to worship. It's time for the prayer warriors to pray. It's time for the preachers to preach like never before. It's time for the evangelists to evangel. It's time for us to go and stand in the place that God's called us to stand. And if we'll do that, we'll see victory. Stand. Stand where God's called you. Stand and return. Stand in your workplace. Stand in your family. Stand in your neighborhood. Stand in your community. Stand where God's called you and watch God give you victory. Stand. You know why we don't have more victory? Because we're sitting when we should be standing. We're reclining. We're in the recliner. We're in the lazy boy. We're in the bed and it's time to stand. We're asleep. We're apathetic. We're lethargic. And God's saying, stand up. Arise, stand in your place. If we'll stand where God's called us to stand, he'll give us victory. Amen? Amen. Finally, my brethren, Ephesians says, Paul writing, he tells them to stand. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Amen? Be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in yourself. Don't be wise in your own eyes. This is not about how much power you can muster. This is not about how much money you've got in the bank. This is not about how many degrees you have behind your name. This is not about how wise you are, how smart you are. This is not about any of that. We're standing in the power of the Lord. Amen? Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Oh, pastor, the attacks, I don't know if I can take it. They're so strong and so powerful and so frequent. I don't know if I'm, what does this say? Put on the armor of God, stand in the power of God, in the power of his might. Put on his armor and you will stand the wiles of the enemy, amen? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the dark, uh, darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. Pastor, it's such a wicked day. I don't think there's any hope for the church. The politicians are doing this, and the school systems are doing this, and the grip of social media on a generation, and movies, and television, and the neighborhood kids, and all this wicked influence. We're gonna be over, overcome, we're gonna be overthrown, we're gonna be destroyed. Don't we remember the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? Amen? Amen. Don't we remember he's undefeated? There's not a battle that he's not won that he's been in. And we're gonna take a mentality that we are defeated, that we're gonna be overcome, 
that there's no hope for a nation, that we, we might as well pack it in. We can't, we can't go overseas anymore because of COVID restrictions, because of governments, because of opposition, because of persecution, and we're gonna sit back and pack it in and sit in the lazy boy. Is that what we're gonna do? Or are we going to stand? Are we going to stand? And when we've done everything that we can do, stand. Amen? What, what are we gonna do? Let, let, me, let me tell you what this, this passage means. It says that you would be able to withstand in the day of evil and having done all to stand, stand therefore. See, my, my, my perception of this, this passage has changed this week. I always thought that, you know, the enemy's attacking and we're standing and we're doing everything that we can to resist him and we're just standing and then when we've done everything to do that we can do, we just stand and he keeps coming. That's not what this passage means. The enemy's coming against us and we stand and then when we've done everything to do, we stand. And you know what that means? It means that we stand in victory amen stand your ground in the day of battle and having fought to the end remain victorious stand victorious on the field that's what it's saying that's that's the way it would literally translate the enemy is coming at us and we stand and at the end of this thing we are standing victorious we are waving the flag of the kingdom of god the banner who is jesus is waving over us we're flying our flag and we are standing triumphant and victory victorious and our enemy is an all-out rout and he is an all-out retreat he's had all he can take and he's on the run that's what that last stand means we're standing victorious and the enemy is defeated. That's what that last stand means. Stand, therefore, and when you've done everything that you can do to stand, stand victorious. I played Texas football growing up, junior high and high school. I loved football. When I was in the, the seventh grade, somewhere between seventh and eighth grade, I moved to a new school district. We moved to Corbett Junior High School and in our seventh grade year, Corbett Junior High School, that, that team that I was on was undefeated. I wasn't a part of that team, but they were undefeated. They played eight games, and they were eight, no. In our eighth grade year, when I got there, you know what happened? We went undefeated. You know why we went undefeated? Because we had a young man named Gerard Douglas on our team. I'll tell you how good Gerard Douglas was. Freshman year, we went to the field house about a week or two before school started. Freshman football team didn't do two-a-days. The junior varsity and the varsity did two-a-days. The two-a-days had already started a couple weeks before high school, and the junior varsity and the varsity were already practicing, and us freshmen went up to the field house to work out. And guess who we saw? Our classmate, Gerard Douglas, who was a freshman, practicing as the starting varsity tailback. And then school started, first week of school, and guess who was not there? Gerard Douglas was not there. You know where he was at? The powerhouse Judson Rockets, Converse Judson Rockets, had hired his mother onto the janitorial staff so he could come play football at Judson. A multiple state championship winning team. This is a per perennial Texas powerhouse one of the greatest texas football teams in the history of texas football converse jetson rockets 
And they've recruited this young freshman to be their starting tailback by hiring his mom. He, he would go on in junior and senior years in, 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 in 5A, the largest division of Texas football, in, in 1992 and 1993 football seasons, he would lead those teams to undefeated seasons and state championships. He would go on to lead the, five, the, the, the class 5A, the largest class in the state of Texas. He would set the all-time rushing record for any running back in Texas state history. He would go on to scholarship at Baylor University and start there for four years on the Baylor Bears football team. So we had Gerard Douglas on our football team in eighth grade. And there wasn't a football game that we went into that we didn't know we were gonna come out victorious, except for one. Game five, Gerard Douglas, who'd already scored four touchdowns, got tackled, which was rare, landed on his arm and broke his arm. And so game six, we weren't so sure we were gonna win. But you know what we did? You know what our coach did? He padded, he suited Gerard up anyway with a pad on his arm over his cast, taped up. And when we were down, you know what he did? He put Gerard in and we won the game. And we went on to an undefeated eighth grade season. We knew we were gonna win because Gerard was on our team. I'm gonna tell you what, when Jesus is on your team, no doubt, you're gonna have a victory. Amen. See, Gerard ended up losing some football games in his football career, but Jesus never did. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you knew you had the best player on your team? Amen? Amen. That's what I'm talking about right there. Victory. That's the victory that we stand in. When we've done everything that we can do to stand, stand. That's what we do. Why? Because we've got the one who is undefeated fighting on our behalf. We know without a doubt that we are a victorious people. Amen? Let, let's stand together. I believe that too many of us live with a defeated mindset. We look at situations, we look at circumstances, and we say there's no way that we can overcome this. I was born this way. My dad was this way. It runs in our family. It's genetic. I was born in the wrong side of the tracks. I was born into a low-income family. I was born this way. That's a defeated mentality. Addiction. I've been there. I know what it is to feel absolutely and utterly under the control. Uh, completely defeated. No way out. No hope of victory. Have you been there? Relationships that you think are irreparable. Gone. Situations and circumstances, financial situations. You only got this much coming in and you owe that much. How many of you know what it is, that feeling of defeat? I think every human being in this room, sometimes it's just our, our, our identity. Doubt, 
insecurities, worries, fears, things on the inside of us, and we just feel defeated. If you're in this room and you feel, maybe you feel like an absolute, utter loser, totally and completely defeated in every area of your life, maybe that's the way you feel. Or maybe it's just one little area. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. And you feel defeated in that area of your life. If that's you, you know what I want you to do? I want you to come and I want you to stand. Make a stand. Amen. Thank you, brother, for coming. Thank you, brother. Come on. Make a stand right here. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's where your victory is at. It's not in your might. It's not in your muster. It's not in your wisdom. It's not in your bank account or pocketbook. Your victory is in Jesus. Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Do you believe that he is everything that he said he is? Listen, Jesus is here, and Jesus is the answer. Jesus is all we need. Well, I need money. Well, Jesus, set your eyes on Jesus. I need healing. Jesus, set your eyes on Jesus. I need restoration. Jesus, Jesus is the answer. In every book of the Bible, there's a problem presented. And in every book of the, the Bible, there's a presentation of Jesus. Because that presentation of Jesus is the way that you overcome that problem. And then in every book of the Bible, there's a promise. Because if you overcome the promise through Jesus, you will inherit the promise. Your fear stands between you and the promise. Put your faith in Jesus and watch your fears be destroyed. Jesus says, I've given you authority to trample over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He gave us power over scorpions and snakes. These are, these are things out in the world. We could add to that list, I believe. Many things in this world. Jesus says, I've given you authority of it. But he makes a greater statement. He said, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Amen? Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Last one, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The preceding verse talks about death. And what worse enemy do we have than death? The one who comes to take us down and to take us out. He talks about our enemy, death. He says, but thanks be to God who causes us to triumph, who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. Amen? Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, 
I thank you for the men and the women that are standing in our altar today. Father, I pray that you would come and infuse them, Lord God, with faith, encouragement, Lord God. I, I don't believe the enemy is attacking them, but for any other reason than that there is a call and there is a purpose and there is a plan that he is opposing. Father, I pray that you would encourage them, Lord God, to stretch forth, to walk forward, to continue to stand and to resist all the opposition of the enemy, Lord God. And Lord, to stand victorious, Lord God. Father, help our faith. I think everyone in this room, we, we believe. But we need you to help our unbelief. The areas of doubt. The areas where we haven't trusted you. The areas where we focused on the odds and the circumstances and the things that are against us more than we have focused upon you and your word and your promises. Lord, I thank you that your promises are yes and they are amen. Father, encourage, bring hope, bring a confidence, Lord God. Father, I pray that every man and every woman in this altar, Lord God, would just stand in who you are, Lord God. Give them a new identity today, Lord God. We are not defeated. We are not overcome, Lord God. We are born of God and we are overcomers. That's who we are. And we thank you for it. I give you praise for it today. In Jesus' name, and amen and amen. Church. Just lift your hands and sing. Those of you that are standing out in the congregation, just begin to sing and sing this song of victory.